Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. It's always amazing to have people that are passionate about the gospel. They're pa- Listen, I, I'm going to do the best I can. Cameramen love me. The best I can to stay within the confines of, yeah, the boxes. But I'm going to tell you, I've been prone to jump a little. <laughs> I, 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 I'm in a really good mood this morning, but my heart is also really heavy. And it's, it's, it's really broken for several things right now. I was, I was driving not long ago, and you know how... You know how right now, guys, I'm just going to be honest with the media. It seems like all we ever get is the, is the garbage. I mean, it's all we ever get is like the death tolls. And I felt like the Lord pinned something on my heart one day because he wanted me to realize just how urgent the hour is right now. I felt like he said, how many of those people are eternally separated from me? Guys, what the things that keep me up at night is not what's going on on the news. The things that keep me up at night is not what's going. I listen, I love each and every one of you, and I can say that you're like, Well, how can you love me? You don't know me because He is love and He lives in me, therefore, I love you. But what keeps me up at night is to know that even people in this room may be eternally separated from God one day. And I know what I'm dealing out right now is really heavy. It gets better though, okay? But I want you to know that's what keeps me up at night. That's what should keep you up at night. During this time, what we have begun to do is jump into what has plagued mankind since the beginning. Self. What a way to start off, right? Self. Like even when the Romans looked at Jesus on the cross and they said, if you really are the Son of God, save yourself. And Jesus is like, I didn't come for myself. I came sacrificially so that you could become the righteousness of God. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 10. This is really weighing heavy on me, guys. It's really weighing heavy on me, not just the lost, not just the pre-believers, but the condition of where the church is right now. We are so numb to sin. Okay, I'm just going to be, listen, there's going to be things that I say today that you may not give a standing ovation on. But that's okay. I was, I was preaching at a church not long ago, and I have no idea what came over me. But I looked out and I said, every one of you young people, if you're below the age of 30, I want you to look at me right now. You can't raise your hands on a Sunday morning and drop your pants on a Friday night. And I know what I just said. Hey, if we can't talk about it in the church, where do we talk about it at? 
Sin has become an issue that even Christians, people that are blood-bought and washed, have found and fell into victim. Listen, guys, I am willing to say right now, now is the time. Now is the hour. I mean, literally, in, during worship, you guys did my entire sermon. The altar, I mean, I, I walked up to Matthew and I said, I feel like this, when I heard I surrender all, I'm like, that's it, man. That's it. And then the Lord began to flash things into my mind that he wanted me to do, and you guys did it. You came up here, I asked the Lord, what are they doing at the altar right now? He said, laying aside everything that hinders love. Laying all of it aside. All of it aside for one thing and one thing only, to prep their hearts for what they're about to hear. I am a little bit pumped up, man. I have seen some amazing stuff, guys, in the last, like, month. People talk about how bad it is. I talk about how good he is. I've seen people run forward. We went to an Indian reservation in northern Minnesota, way up in the middle of nowhere. And the whole week long, we're doing door-to-door evangelism, knocking. Same scenario every time. Dad's not here. He's in prison. Dad's not here. He left us. Dad's not here. He's out with his friends drinking. Dad's not here. He's at work all the time. We never see him. Dad's not here. Dad's not here. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my goodness, Lord, what are you trying to say? Now, listen, what I'm saying right now may be the gospel according to Russell, but I believe that the root of all sin is fatherlessness. I believe we've been praying for the symptoms and not the root. The root of racism is fatherlessness. The root of sexual immorality is fatherlessness. Listen to me, guys. It's it's not knowing who our father really is. I remember, I'll come back to the reservation story, but I remember I I was a part of this ministry that's actually based here in Fort Worth, and I'm still part of it, and I remember I went out on this thing thinking it was a men's retreat, and when I got on the bus, they said men don't retreat, they charge. And I thought, wow, this is insane, and all of a sudden they stood up and began to They called it the mercy seat. They begin to stand up and repent for things and sins that have been going on in their life. Things that have blocked them from knowing the eternal message. I mean, we've seen people get born again, really. Like they had said a prayer before, but now that they understood what full surrender looked like, they fully surrendered their life to God. And I remember... I don't talk about this a whole lot with my testimony, but I should talk about it a little bit more. My dad was in and out of the penitentiary most of my life. He's never there. And I remember I held a lot of things in, guys. I remember I, I had questions in my heart that I thought was just part of normal society because that's what I seen with all my friends. I seen broken homes. I seen absent fathers. To me, it become a normality. That's just the way the world works. So I remember being on this ministry, and I remember they, they, they said, write a letter to your dad. And I sat down, and I began to write this letter out. And I'm sitting on the side of the Brazos River, and there's no one around. And I began to empty my heart. 
And I begin to say, what was wrong with me? Why did you choose that lifestyle over me? You're supposed to be my father. You're supposed to give me your blessing. You're supposed to speak into me. But you, you were not there. And my heart is broken because of it. And I finished that letter, man, and I thought, whoa, I really accomplished something. I really let all of this out. I really let all this animosity go. I really let all of this hatred and brood of bitterness that was in my heart, I got it exposed. And then I turned the page over and it says, now write a letter to God about your dad. Oh. I stood up on the side of that river and I'm throwing things and I'm screaming at God. God's a big God. He can hate. He can take it. And now I'm crying out, why do you, what was wrong with me to him that you thought I should grow up without a dad? What was wrong with me? What is, did, did I not, do I not sing to you enough? Do I not read enough? Do I not walk enough? And I emptied all of it, guys, to the point of just, just, just total surrendering even that. And I heard, well done. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I, know, I, I developed the love for my dad who was absent, who was never there, because I understood a father who was always there. So I'm walking on this Indian reservation, and these people, they just don't know. They don't know, guys. They've got little, they've got little witchcraft things. We, we encountered witchcraft like crazy. They have them hanging up on all their doors and all their windows, and they run through the house with a drum saying that it gets the evil spirits out. And we just kept, we kept preaching the gospel to them. We kept living out and walking out a life of love. Love really looks like someone. So we're preaching, and all of a sudden, we, 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 you know, we're seeing people born again. We're seeing people healed. We're seeing all these amazing things happen door to door. Which, by the way, guys, you can join us the third Saturday of every month as we go door to door right here in the area. <laughs> Seemed like a good time to put a plug in there. <laughs> and as we went door to door, all of a sudden at night, we were having nightly meetings. It started, we partnered with Awaken the Dawn. Anybody know that ministry? So Awaken the Dawn had set up a tent. They set up an altar of the Lord in the midst of sorcery, in the midst of witchcraft, in the midst of a fatherless generation. They set them up all over the United States. And they said, here we are, God. And so as that song began to permeate over the area, at night we would have tent meetings. In these tent meetings, all these people would come. And we would share the gospel. The last day, I'm standing there, and the Lord said, I want you to share the testimony of your father. That's all I want you to do. I know you have a wonderful sermon planned, son, but today, this is what I want. So I took about 10 minutes, and I got up, and I shared. And I'm looking down at the ground. And the whole time, I'm looking down at the ground, and I said, listen, guys, I believe there's one question. Who wants a real father? Who wants to let go of all of the junk? 
who really wants to give their life to Jesus, if that's you, I'm not going to play a soft song that says just as I am. I'm not going to play I Surrender All, even though that's my favorite song, by the way. I am literally just going to say, come up here. And I look up and they're running to the front. They're running to the front. They want a real father. They want to know what love really looks like. It was absolutely amazing. And then they just went right over and dunked them in the water, man. They just got baptized. Like right afterwards. Why am I saying all this, man? Why am I even talking about this? Because let's just go to Scripture. Luke 10, chapter 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I want to pause right there for one second. I'm going to be that guy that says, speaking to the church right now, because we've kind of failed at this a little bit. If you don't love your neighbor, I question whether you love God. I'm just being very real. Because what begins to happen the more time we spend with our father is we develop his traits. How much did he love us? (laughs) Greater love has no man than this, than a man should lay down his life for his friends. And he said, you would have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and seeing him, had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and he gave to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more he spends, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think provided a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Later on, in, in, um, or early in Matthew 9 and Matthew 12, how many of you know when the Scripture re- repeats something over and over again, there's usually a reason for it? <laughs> I hate the fact that all these new versions come out, and I'm not even going to get into that, but they, their, their, their heart cry is they say, well, it's just too repetitive. Well, truth be known, man, I'm a hard-headed dude. i got to hear things multiple times sometimes before it really sets in. The truth is established in the second and the third witness. Man, this, this, this story right here, guys, it has rocked my heart now more than ever because I'm looking and seeing at how broken, not just the church in some ways, but the lost are. I don't know if you've, if you've had a chance. Christians are walking around right now with blinders on. I'm just going to be that guy to speak it because I believe our ministry is specifically called for two things, to win the lost and to show the church the need to win the lost. Because 
I said this last time I was here. I said this the last time I was here, guys. That the evangelist job is not just for the evangelist. That we're all called to do the work of an evangelist. Maybe you don't like putting it in that terminology. Let me put it this way. Do you love your daddy? Do you want to tell other people how good your daddy really is? Because that's the thing that should engulf you. That's the thing that should, when you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, after you say, good morning, Holy Spirit, you should say, how many lives can I touch today? What can I do? Romans 10 tells us, how are people going to know the gospel if no, if no preachers come? Notice it did not say, and no evangelists come. It said, and no preachers come. And then it said, blessed are those who preach the gospel. Blessed are the feet of those who preach the gospel. You came up here earlier today and you laid aside anything that hinders love. I'm asking you this morning, I want you to hear me this morning in a broken and dying world out there. You are the Samaritan. You are the one who thought he was an orphan to begin with and had no people, but then was shown how good the love and mercy of God is. And he became your heavenly father and showed you things that no one else had ever shown you. We were talking about the house of prayer. I'm a house of prayer guy. I kind of, it's kind of my thing, guys. You sit there in the presence of God and you allow him to just engulf you, not fill you up. Listen, you're full. You should be full already. Why? Because your corporate prayer time doesn't replace your personal prayer time. I love the house of prayer. I sign up for all kinds of prayer sets. I love it. But that doesn't replace my one-on-one -on -one time with my daddy. There's a time for both of them. There was a preacher, a priest, who walked by this young man. And they see him bleeding on the side of a road. And they just didn't want to stop and take the time. I was a pastor for many, many years, guys, and I know the drama it is to be a pastor. I'm just going to say it. Sometimes you're like, oh, can't we just have a day where everybody gets saved and we do 20 baptisms? No, I got to do counseling with this guy and this guy and this guy. And he looked over and he seen him and he said, I can't do it. I'm not, not today. I'm not doing it. And he walked by. Then the Levite, the one that was in charge of, of taking care of the temple, of taking care of the house of prayer, the one that stays in the presence of God all the time, chose to walk away as well. But the exile, I love 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. I believe that, too, I'm going to be honest with you, it, that, that deals with the numbness of sin right now as well on the church. Why, why? Because it says that we're not supposed to return to our former things. I just dropped a big bomb in here. Pow. We're not supposed to return to our former things. But we're supposed to be holy as he is holy. And we're supposed to walk that out. My heart's cry this morning for the church is for her to see how beautiful she's meant to be. The way that Jesus sees his bride. But then also to tell you, there are people that walk by you every day. 
There are people that are laying, bleeding, and hurting. There are people that, all, that are all around you where you live at, your workplace, your home, your, your, your gas stations, that they need someone to turn aside and to look at them and to have mercy on them and to pour out what was, what was shown to them on them. They've been abandoned by so many people. Guys, I, had, I was driving through downtown. Is this okay? I'm, I'm really passionate about this, guys. I was driving over to Fort Worth, and a friend of mine texts me, and he says, he says, hey, man, he says, there's a guy that just called me, and he's on meth, and uh, can you come over here with me? I said, sure. So I show up over there, and I'm listening to his story. Oh, and his story, guys, it went on and on and on. You got to love and then listen, right? You got to love and then listen. And his story goes on and, and, and listen, he's on meth. Like he's not denying it. Like he's like, I'm on it right now. And every other word that comes out of his mouth is a four-letter filth word. And most people would have turned aside and been like the Levite or been like the pastor and kept walking because he looked dirty. Woo. We just sat there and listened to his whole heart, guys. And then the Holy Spirit told me to do something. He said, ask him about his mom and dad. So I asked him about his mom and dad. and <laughs> He stood up and pulled out a knife. <laughs> I'm not playing. And he looked at me and he said, I'm so mad. I'm so angry. I can't believe you would ask me that. It was that fatherlessness starting to. So I looked at him and I just went, in Jesus' name, rage be silent. And he drops the knife and he sits down. And this is what I told him. I said, and I may have told this to you guys before. And if, it, if I have, it's okay. How many of you have ever heard of Matthew the tax collector? So Matthew the tax collector, guys. A child... Five years old in, in Israel is taught to memorize the Torah, especially in Deuteronomy, the Shema. They're taught to memorize that whole thing the best they can. And then after that, after they get a pretty good grip of it, then what they begin to do is they begin to memorize the, the Tanakh. And then later on, if they get good with that, then they go into the Talmud. But when they reach the age of accountability, which many believe is like 15 or 16, the same age as a bar mitzvah, Everybody wants to be a rabbi. It's like being the, the president. You got the money, you got all the stuff. It's the creme de la creme. So they would go to the rabbi and they asked the rabbi, they said, can I be the dust from your feet? And the rabbi would ask them a question. And if they answered the question correctly, he would say, follow me. Get this, if he answered incorrectly, he would say, go back to your father's business. Matthew was a tax collector. What was his dad? What was his dad? What was his dad? What was his dad? Do you see? All of those years of shame and guilt and condemnation about maybe, maybe this one's the one. Maybe the, 
Oh, he fell just like all of us did. Maybe this one's the one. No, he fell just like all of us did. But then all of a sudden, one day, he's collecting taxes. And from across the, across the way, Jesus, the great rabbi, whose reputation preceded him, looks across and says, Matthew, follow me. So I asked this young man, I said, man, all those years of condemnation, all those years of guilt and shame, are you tired of carrying the weight of all your failures? Because I believe Jesus is standing here going, Isaiah, follow me. I watched his tears begin to flow down his face and he threw himself on the ground. And he said, God, everything that I am, I give to you right now. He even, this is when you know it's real and it's raw. He, he even was like, because I don't know what to do with this blankety blank stuff, God. I want you to blankety blank heal me. They're not clean when they're caught. This is real. This is raw. He's sitting there bawling his eyes out, shaking and trembling. And then we prayed the baptism of the Holy Spirit on him. And we look, I looked over at a friend of mine, and I said, hey, man, what do we got here to baptize him with? Listen, I believe in full submersion. It's awesome. I believe it's biblical. But we're going to use what we got. Yes. And we take him into a shower that they had. They filled the mop buckets up with. Yes. And baptize him, our brother, in the name of Jesus Christ. Yes. What if in that moment I would have been like, the Levite, or like the priest, and I would have been like, "Woo, brother, why can't you call me with like someone that is like right there at the threshold? You got to call me with a guy that's on meth right now? You got to call me with a guy that he pulls his knife out? Most people, when they pull the knife out, would have been like, hallelujah. <laughs> I think God right now, guys, right now, in the midst of everything, people are dying every day. Hell is expounded every day. It's expanding every day. That's what Scripture says. Every day, hell grows larger from people that are going there that were never meant to go. How many of them work with you? How many of them live next door? Man, I've been driving through Dallas right now. Ever since COVID's happened, the homeless population has doubled. And I'm talking from Dallas to Fort Worth to Addison. They're everywhere. The shelters, many of us don't know because we had a nice cushy bed. Many of us don't know. Two of the shelters had to shut down because of COVID cases. Where did they go? To tents on the sidewalk. People that were married are now divorced because of what they have been exposed to the last three months. They've been put together and they had no idea of how to deal with the difficulties and the differences that was going on because the church was closed. 
I'm bringing it today. When we leave here today, you're going to be full of joy, but you may, may start off looking like repentance. Hallelujah. <laughs> and that's okay. I repent every day, man. There are people that own businesses that are now facing foreclosure on their homes. These are people laying on the side of the road. I think today, I think this morning, I think right now, I think this minute, God's saying, where are my Samaritans in this case? Where are the people, where are my sons and my daughters that are not going to walk by suffering and pain, but they're going to speak life into suffering and pain. And they're going to wake up and they're going to know that the time is now. The time is coming. This is not church as usual anymore. I don't want to talk about the new normal. I want to talk about the new church. I want to talk about the end time church. The one that lays down everything for their Savior. There's a group of people called the Circuit Ride. Has anybody ever heard of them? Man, I've seen Lou get up and circuit riders get up and David Hogan even does this. But people, the same way they surrendered a minute ago, their sin or their difficulty or their, what, what's been going on in their hearts and their lives, they do the same thing with their lives. What does that mean? What does that mean, Russell? I'm not called to be an evangelist. I have a construction company. Praise God. That means you can disciple these construction workers, see them born again, see their lives completely transformed right in front of your eyes. But I, only, I own a restaurant. I'm in the marketplace. Praise God. When the marketplace really takes off, when the evangelists and the prophets and the apostles and the teachers and the pastors that are called to the marketplace begin to walk in their true nature, begin to walk in their true calling as sons that walk in that office, revival will begin to break out. I believe that with all of my heart. What happens whenever we, we, we preach the gospel to someone at a, at a restaurant and they get born again? And then they run over and they get someone and bring them back over and they begin to get born again. What happens is if the other way around and the waitress comes over to the table and the waitress says, is there anything I can get you today? Yes, I would like a glass of tea. Well, praise God, I want to let you know that that will satisfy you for a moment. But if you want something that will really satisfy you, it's not on the menu here today. But his name is Jesus Christ. Well, I don't want to hear that. Go get your boss. No problem. The boss comes over there. Yes, sir, what's the problem? Well, this lady's trying to preach to me. Well, sir, I'm sorry, but it's a fire that shut up in our bones. And we can't stop. We're going to keep preaching. What happens when the situation is reversed? Or, or somebody walks up that walks into the office, that walks in the office of a prophet and begins to read their mail right in front of them and they go, And then they say, the Lord wants you to know all of this because he desires you. I surrender it all. I, I am so, so hurt because of everything I'm seeing out there right now. And I know each and every one of you are seeing the same thing. Raise your hand in this room if you know someone that got divorced during COVID. Raise your hand in this room if you know someone that lost their house during COVID. Raise your hand in this room if you know someone that got sick during COVID. Raise your hand in this room if you know people that are still struggling today because of COVID. Now look around. Keep your hands up. If you had your hand raised at all a minute ago, get your hand up. Now look around the room. 
That is a cloud of witnesses. If we're really going to be the church outside the four walls, then we need to be the church outside the four walls. And let everyone know that whatever you can do, whatever you try to do, you can't stop the gospel message. You can't stop the God. You can say you can close the churches. You can put people in jail. But it will not stop. As a matter of fact, a revival will break out in the prisons because of the gospel message going forward. Whew. After he took care of the guy, he put him on his donkey. And he took him. Dropped him off with the innkeeper. Don't you think he had already done enough already? He had already done enough just by like, patching up his wounds and sending him, Right? I mean, you know, sometimes we got to deal with wounds. Come on, man. We got to do it because people are hurt out there. They have this thing, a smallest wound. This is what gets you. It's called a shabar. It literally means brokenness. And it's the thing that are tucked way inside of people. And the only time you see that thing manifest is when like a trigger word is used. And then all of a sudden, have you ever been there and gotten mad for no reason whatsoever at all and thought to yourself, I have no idea why I got mad like that wounds as a son we can speak into that as a daughter we can speak into that but then he took him and he took care of him and he took him to the he took him to the the hotel and then he basically said anything he needs get it I think God is calling people to not just be I think we're going to start seeing a lot of community homes. I think we're going to start seeing a whole lot of people that all of a sudden are moving people in to personally disciple them. I think we're going to start seeing stuff like that. Real discipleship, one-on-one. I think, we're, I think that's a new movement that's going to begin to take place. When you go out and you see someone born again, you're going to get their name and you're going to get their number. And you're going to actually have coffee and you're going to invest time into them. And you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna see them brought up to, for, to where they can make disciples as well. Because we're not called to make salvations. We're called to make disciples. It may look like them coming in your home. It may. It may look like you being like this guy was and just helping them along the way. Come on, guys. Today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day to say, you know what, no more, no more part-time Christianity. Or like Todd White says, no more, no more sideline Christianity. Today is the day to go, listen, I'm going to burn and everyone that's around me is going to catch fire. And maybe you came in here this morning and maybe, you, here's a tough word again, maybe you're here to do the two-hour thing, check off your book and move on out to get home and have your roast or, or your lunch or whatever else. But I believe with all of my heart, there are people in this room that want to walk out transformed. They don't want to come in here and, and, and just check off a box. They want to come in here and be transformed by the gospel message. They want to be transformed. They want to get excited. They want to see people born again. They have family members that are lost. Family members that need to be born again. Oh God, that you would release a baptism of fire again in this room. Of holy fire in this room right now. Burn in their hearts, God, for what burns in yours. Let's stand to our feet.